what do you think AI is going to look like when we move past the dial-up stage to the high-speed, to ubiquitous Wi-Fi, to the Starlink era where we are today, right? The innovation that is going to come is going to be mind-blowing. Welcome everyone to the AI Marketing Lab, where we delve deep into the innovative world of artificial intelligence and its transformative impact on the marketing landscape. I'm your host, Alex Montes, EVP of Marketing at Bed Labs. We're here to spotlight the luminaries, the visionary, the experts who are shaping the future of how we market and communicate in an AI-driven world. We're gonna take a journey with our guests on this podcast we're gonna walk through their careers. We will dissect the nuances, the shifts, and the strategies that have propelled them to the forefront of marketing while thinking how AI is disrupting their world. Our mission is to uncover how marketers are using artificial intelligence as not just a tool, but a revolution in thinking, strategizing, and executing. So whether you are a seasoned marketer or just AI curious, Buckle up, because we're about to dive deep into the fascinating convergence of technology and creativity. Welcome to the journey. Let's get our episode started. Welcome again to another episode of the AI Marketing Lab podcast. And um, I'm super excited today to talk to Donovan Andrews. Donovan, I see him as a futurist. Uh, he's written some great papers. He seems to be ahead I really enjoyed a lot of his analogies to what's going on with AI and, and the need for intervention and regulation to the way that it was early on with nuclear bomb and things like that. And, and I know nuclear sounds weird, but but he'll make it make sense <laughs> later on. But also, um, honestly, he's somebody that has just fairly been ahead in his entire career. And to get started, he has been a corporate innovation strategist with over two decades of experience in the advertising and digital media sectors. He has a company called Oversure, and he has significantly contributed to the success and growth of numerous companies, including their IPOs. So I would love to, maybe Donovan, maybe you can span and tell us a little bit more about you, your career, and what you're currently doing. We'll be so excited to learn more. Yeah, so you know, so briefly, my background is I started out at, um, at Omnicom, which is one of the largest agency holding companies. And then from there, I went to go, eventually I went on to start my own agency. Uh, so I started that um, from my apartment on the Lower East Side. Uh, and then we grew that to four divisions of American Express, Coca-Cola, ESPN, Financial Times, Silly Music, a whole bunch of others. Uh, so that was a great run for us and a great opportunity to be in the space oh. um, as digital was kind of coming through its turning point after the, um, the dot-com fallout. So we, there was a lot of excitement in terms of running up into the lead up into what we were doing in the technology space. And then of course, that we went through this kind of like great reset in terms of figuring out what the future was going to be, what the height, what the foundations were going to be and what the internet had to offer. And then for us, we decided to create a performance driven ad agency. Uh, and at that time, not a lot of people were thinking about uh, performance marketing. One of the first to do what we were doing at that time and, uh, and, it, and it worked out for us. And uh, since then, I've gone on to uh, work for different organizations, either in the business development, strategic development capacity, uh, helping organizations grow and build. And uh, in, in that process, um, along that way, I've done about five different internal startups. Awesome, awesome. 
as a, my heart is in performance marketing. Like I've done the brand, I've done content, product marketing and all of that. But I guess it, I owe it to people like you that, you know, now I can be of, uh, you know, where I say like, I'm a full stack marketer, but my strength is performance. So, um, you know, thanks to the work that, that you've done. I'd love to, maybe what do you, what do you consider yourself now? Do you still consider yourself a marketer? We talked about you being a chief digital officer and, and, you know, in a prior conversation, I would love to learn a little bit more about like, how do you see your current role as and the way that you relate to external companies? Um, my role in terms of how I work with external companies, um, a lot yeah. of it, you know, a lot of it is really working, you know, so I'll, I'll take a step back and just talk about, you know, some of my role in terms of being kind of at large organizations and doing internal startups, right? Quite often what ends up happening is in large organizations, there's a desire to move beyond its core business or the core pillars of operation. And quite often um, there is a lot of inertia and a lot of priorities that are already set by, you know, client needs, client demands and the sort. And it's hard to really spin something up new, right? So. Uh, typically when these organizations need to have uh, a little bit more oomph, a little bit more thrust um, in starting these organizations, they call people like me uh, because we have this startup experience, we have the corporate world experience. So there's something that has to be done in terms of being able to bridge the gap between, you know, the entrepreneurial jargon and cadence and, and at the same time, the internal corporate cadence and corporate jargon that has to take place, right? Because um, it's they're two very different worlds and um, two different expect levels of expectations at different stages. And so it's not it's 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 always a, it's always like a, a give and take in terms of how you grow, what resources are needed, what, what resources we can call down on eternally, uh, and what resources we need to pull in. Uh, externally and being able to communicate that to the executives and to the board. Got it. And then um, I've I've seen that I've read two articles that you've written on AI that I found them and they're short but really like cogent to the point. And I think you you hit it right on the nail of what we're going on AI. Where does that interest come from? Is that part of your position to kind of be ahead in the future? Well, I think so. I think that what's 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 great about this space is you know always you know. You say this in a jokingly, but it's kind of the truth. Like, if you don't like what's happening in our space, just wait six months and it'll be completely different, right? Mm-hmm. So that's always happening. Like the the, the 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 space and the industry is constantly reinventing itself, um, and most most more than not for the better. So so that's good. Yeah. Right. So being a part of the the change, being a part of the innovation and the conversations around innovations also puts you in a position where you're driving the the future of the space and the conversations and bringing in new talent and supporting people and uh, mentoring people and working with folks uh, as we um, as we move into the new frontiers of technology. Um, it, uh, it just keeps everything fresh and def- for certainly you keep, it keeps you on your toes. Got it. Awesome. Thank you. All right. So AI, it's part of part of this space and how it's moving fast is is part of kind of like what you have to do even for part of your job, but also part of your curiosity. So I'd love to know, are you currently using AI in your personal life at all? Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the areas that I use it almost daily is, um, is on research, right? For me, it's allowed me to more than double 
the amount of my my amount of editorial intake, right? So I get a lot of like research reports from different banks in the sort or, or different writers, and it's just really it's it's hard to get through all of them um, on on a regular basis, if not uh, almost next to impossible, right? Because you just don't have the time to do it. But what AI is allowing me to do is being able is is be able to to read the summary versions of those reports right on a regular basis and as i i can take in a lot more than i was taking in like i said you know more than double what i was doing before so that's really helpful to be able to pay attention to a lot of the development that's taking place in the space outside of the space and taking research from um from places that ordinarily you just wouldn't make time for because you just didn't have the you, you couldn't prioritize it right you just couldn't put it at the top of your list but now you're able to um to take all of that in and and educate yourself and um and actually be able to have some really interesting conversations and follow up with with writers with organizations yeah and um in your article you write about like embracing ai technologies early on marketers can gain a competitive edge could you expand on that? What do you, like? What do you feel? And in which ways do you feel like marketers can gain an edge by using AI? One of them is the one you just mentioned: summarizing, move faster in your research and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but you were given a couple of examples in regards to like you know the AI's role in content creation and things like that. We'd love to hear more. Yeah, look, I look at it like you know it puts it can put marketers in a position where obviously, like I was saying, the research piece of his piece of it is going to be pretty big, uh, and being able to summarize research, right? So that allows for for uh, people to get much smarter and much faster, right? And now we're looking at it from the perspective of creative, and I think that the conversation still needs to be had around um, of. We need to con we, the conversations are being had. We need some conclusions around copyright, but I think that once we get that answer, um, we're going to be in a position where organizations are going to be able to develop and deliver creative at a faster rate with a reduced cost. And I think that's going to be interesting in terms of how agencies um, are able to deliver for their clients, right? Um, as well as yeah. that editorial is going to change, right? So. We're going to be able to see the editorial side of it. So what used to take a very, very long time to deliver in terms of getting, you know, editorial copy created, delivered and proved and edits and the back and forth, that time frame is going to shrink considerably and the cost around that is going to shrink considerably as well. So all of that is, you know, both those, those areas will be affected. And then, and of course, on the, um, on the operational piece in terms of performance and, uh, being able to analyze marketing campaign and marketing reports, a lot of that will be fed through various AI platforms, uh, and the decisioning around that and the optimization will be made uh, dynamically. It would just and, and and the creative delivery. I think creative at some point is going to be developed dynamically according to the performance that uh, that the campaigns already experiencing. Got it. So a lot of what you're saying is, is content is just going to accelerate, is, is going to be much better, and it's going to be much faster. And in your mind, do you feel like AI is just going to take the bulk of content generation? Or or do you feel like there's going to be a balance between human creativity and AI generating content um, in future marketing campaigns? A very good question. So I think there's we're going to have the extremes, right, like you mentioned. But I think there's there's a middle ground. There's 
the space for synthetic content. And what I mean by synthetic, mm. meaning that there will be human guidance in the form of the prompts to right to get the content created on the platform and then pushed back to the end user. And then that content will be edited and redrafted, uh, potentially put back through the AI platform with additional prompting and then to set back. So there's going to be a back and forth. There's going to be a collaborative space of content that's going to be created, which will be this synthetic space that's in the middle. And I think that's probably where we're going to see a lot of activity in the near term. Got it. All right. So it's just like going back and forth, not just an assistant, but like a collaborator in a sense, right? Like it's just, it's just yeah. somebody that I'm working with and um, that just has a different mindset when it comes to things. You got it. Um, how about like ethical concerns, right? Like you you mentioned it briefly just a minute ago and you mentioned copyrights, but how about like, what? how do you feel about the possibility of deep fakes being used for marketing and advertising purposes? And, and how do you feel about it from an ethical standpoint? What do you think brands and marketers should be mindful of? For, well, look, deep fakes are, deep fakes are one of these things that um, they get a lot of attention. Right. And a lot of conversation. So we have to separate them in a few different ways. So one is obviously any type of misuse or misrepresentation of politicians or celebrities to sway a vote or sway public opinion or to move people towards a movement or away from a movement. You know, that's all unethical work. Right. So we have to figure out um, how we stop that. And I think that what we've seen I believe Microsoft uh, has announced that they've created something around um, watermarking to prevent some of that. We'll see the, the, the uh, deployment of that, I think, in the next probably in the next six months or so, right? So I think we're going to get to that point where the technology can actually put guardrails around the technology, which is a good thing. Um, now, the use of celebrities or other famous folks um, in the form of advertising that's interesting to me. And I think that might be interesting to some artists as well, right? I believe it was, um, there are a few artists out there that have given the green light to this. I think Lupe Fiasco was one, the green light to art, to creators uh, using technology to use their voice to create something that might be similar to what they would create, but they didn't. Um, and I think that that's okay, right? As long as there is permissioning along the way and as long as artists and creators and musicians are not robbed of their intellectual likenesses, right? Uh, as long as they are not robbed and they're not being taken advantage of in the process and they give permission to it, then it could be an interesting place for us to explore. And I think that brands might want to be a part of this because, again, it moves the needle a bit faster from concept to actual development uh, and delivery of the uh, of the asset, and probably done be done at a much cheaper price point as well. Yeah. So when when people like George Martin say they don't want their Game of Thrones books to be an open AI, is is that something you agree with or disagree with? If they don't want it, then they should then it shouldn't be a part of it. Absolutely, it should not. Right. These are. You know, we're at the early stages of this, and I think a lot of folks, some people will come around and, and will change your mind. You have to also remember, a lot of artists, uh, musicians specifically, did not want their music on some of the streaming platforms, and then they've come around, right? So it takes time for people to understand and for people to understand 
um, exactly what's in it for them and what it means for them and their brand and everything that they've created. So now if, if you're a writer and you say you don't want your, your, your creation, your works and anything that you put your time and energy towards to be a part of any type of platform, then it just absolutely should not be part of it, right? We shouldn't as, um, as a community of technologists or people that are tech forward force or steal um, other folks' uh, intellectual property. Yeah. And I agree with the distinction of like maybe OpenAI doesn't train their systems with authors that haven't authorized. I, yeah. I agree with that assertion. I just feel like right now, if I wanted to read all of, you know, George Martin's books and I wanted to create my own Game of Thrones, like, okay, I'm going to rewrite the ending because wow. I don't know, I may feel like I can make it better. And I've actually have read tons of fiction and I've seen tons of YouTube videos made without AI kind of doing this. So now I feel like there's nothing that stops me. Like, let's just say it's not an open AI. From me adding it to open AI and going like, okay, based on this thing, give me that different ending. Yeah. So I'm, you know, so to advance the conversation and, and like maybe make it a little bit more of a discussion versus just like a back and forth, I just feel that while this you know, authors are in the right, like, hey, don't don't feed it, don't make it easily available. People that want to get around these guardrails probably could, right? Because I can train my own model to say, 100%. hey, in fact, I've done it. I trained, I trained models to go like, here are pieces of my writing, give me something that looks like that. And then I feel like there's nothing that will stop me from saying, like, take this books and now and now write this other thing that looks like this right using using these characters or using these things let's imagine then 50 years later and and like let's let's say that in 50 years later they have an unhappy ending how would that look and then have that write it so so while i agree i feel like what would be really interesting for artists is, is like find a way to get paid <laughs> versus yeah. like not added here. But to your point, you're right, I think, and I love the how you mentioned how it worked with music and how it worked with the internet. Like these are things that, you know, Prince for the longest wasn't on the internet, I think, right? right. And then eventually he he found his way around. He found it, his way right? around, yeah. So it's one of those things, is like if you want, if there is, if you want a surefire way to slow down progress, it would be to disrespect the wish of the artist. Well, as long as we provide them with the ability to add or remove their content when they feel when, at, at their wish, at, at, at their request, right? And we respect their wishes and we provide them with the time, we provide them with the education, we provide them with a better understanding and different models and frameworks that allow them to either or both instances protect their their creation and to be paid off their creation, then we will probably get to that point where you're talking about where you can get to the outcome and create create your own ending for Game of Thrones or create your own outcome for a, uh, a top boy sooner than later. Before we move on, because I, I do like the topic of, of um, you know, regulation, and I think like that could be like the heart of this conversation. But what do you think, uh, I think earlier you said like six months from now, everything is going to look so different. Yeah. And if you had a crystal ball, how would it look, not six months from now, but maybe two years from now? Where do you see this whole AI situation? Do you think we're going to be able to do video and, and the way that we generate text 
maybe we generate video, maybe we generate music. I'd love to hear more where you, where you think things are going. Well, yeah, so I, I look at it from a few different perspectives. So one is when you look at where, when you look at where we were in terms of the parallel that we talk about, um, well, the analogy I like to use is around connectivity. Um, when you look at where we were in the U.S. Um, with the early stages of the internet, we were at 13% of people had dial-up. And that was, um, I think it was like early, uh, excuse me, late 90s, right? So only 13% uh -huh. of the U.S. Um, so, and we're roughly about that in that same phrase right now in terms of like how many people have actually used um, a generative AI model. So if you look at it from a comparative perspective, we're in the early, early, early stages of dialing, right? Uh, and again, if you want to use another analogy, it's, you know, television, 1950s, we only had 9% of, of folks uh, that actually had a television in the U.S. What happens, what do you think AI is going to look like when we move past the dial-up stage to the high speed, to, um, to ubiquitous Wi-Fi, to the Starlink? era and where we are today, right? The innovation that is going to come is going to be mind-blowing. So yes, we will 100% have video. That's going to be interesting to see how that works out uh, in terms of the format and the form and the length of it. But we will have more video that people are working on that now and they're only available like really short snippets. Um, we're going to have interesting innovation around around music as well. So people will, novices will be able to create songs. So we will create music by inserting a few prompts. Now that's something that people have talked about for a very long time, but it's here, it's, it's around the corner. So in the next six months, I, I expect to see advances from a video, in a video perspective, I get to expect to see it uh, from a music perspective. I get to see it, I expect to see it from being able to, uh, to bring in data uh, from like a small business perspective and be able to provide a lot of insights and guidance to a small business in terms of like how they should manage their bills, when they should pay their bills and which credit cards they should be using. So I think that that's gonna be interesting and which banks they should be using and being able to probably uh, set up a bank account for uh, and, uh, and apply for credit cards for small businesses um, right through an AI platform. Right. So I think that we'll yeah. a lot of that in the next in the next few months. Yeah. So I'm guessing though, like with the capability of doing things like bank accounts and things like that, there's also comes a need for there comes a lot of risks. Right? Um <laughs> you know, one thing is copyright. Like, okay, and that's kind of like, okay, I could make fake trick. But if you could simulate my voice you could definitely call my bank you could definitely call you know my mom and ask her for stuff oh, my mom's no longer here but you got the gist yeah what are some of the risks that 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 you see with ai given all of this advances you see coming well i would say this in terms of let's just take a, a step back and just talk about risk and risk management overall we've done a pretty good job in terms of being able to manage risk risk assessment and just malicious malicious actors you know there's a ton of bad stuff that happens to people we know that uh from an exploitation pr uh, pr perspective from theft and fraud we know these things it, it is happening but i think that what we've seen in spaces like this is that the security industry 
the security industry grows pretty well and moves pretty well in terms of being able to counter threats. Like we've been able to see that. The security industry uh, in a space, I remember I did research on that, but those numbers were, I think were paltry in the late 90s. Like absolutely, like nothing. And now it is a, you know, over $80 billion space, right? So in terms of the the companies that are, the companies that are operating in that space and their overall market cap, and we're not even talking about the private, right? So we know that these companies, that there is, it is a real business there. Uh, companies pay for the security because they want to protect their customers and their end users. They want to protect their, their employees. Uh, and they have to protect the organization because of the response, the fiduciary responsibility uh, to investors. So the threats in that sense will be managed, right? So I think when we look at it from the perspective of, you know, should we be afraid or the question is, should we be afraid or should we be embracing? I think we should be embracing, but at the same time aware that there is another level of security uh, and cautiousness that we have to have uh, just because it is all new. But it, it, all of the protections eventually w will come. Got it. So you feel like there are risks, but you feel like the risks are manageable. For yeah. is that is that a good good a good summary of things? You feel like you know what? There's not going to be some intelligent computer more intelligent than us who's going to like you envision a Star Trek kind of future versus right a terminator kind of future right where we're right where like the ai is like data right that data the, the character from star trek, for star trek yeah. versus the this computer that doesn't like us and is doing things is that a correct summary of how you see the future as we start adding this thing up here well the future is what we make it right the future is what we make okay. it but i do believe that um you know there is this utopic future um, picture that we all kind of know, which is, yes, the Star Trek version. And then there's this dystopian one as well, which is, you know, that kind of like Blade Runner type world. And I think I, I lean more towards, obviously, I'm a Trekkie, uh, so I lean towards that, right? But I do believe that what we have to do as a, as a society is that we have to continue to press for uh, legislation. We have to press for guide rails. We have to support companies that do the right thing. Um, we have to pu punish and penalize the companies that don't. Um, I think that for what we've seen in the last, at the end of the last 10, 20 years is that the malicious actors in our space has, they've typically been pushed aside, uh, and punished. And, and we're seeing one of them right now with, uh, SBF, right? Like he's in jail. And I think that we, um, you know, I think we do a good job at, at rooting that the bad stuff out and we have to continually do that so that we put ourselves in a position where the technology is built with uh, controls, I would say controls as well as uh, data that is unbiased data that'll create platforms um, that are beneficial to society and not problematic. You, you talk about bias, right? And another scenario, we talked about Star Trek, we talked about Blade Runner, great movie. Uh, there's that movie Minority Report with Tom Cruise, <laughs> right? Where, where for me, it's a statistical nightmare, right? Where they go like, okay, you are, have this likelihood of committing this crime, so I'm going to arrest you yeah. beforehand. And then I've noticed, I think, I think it happened very recently, where like a facial recognition software 
identify the wrong person and the wrong person kind of went to jail or or something like that. And um, maybe can you talk about like the, the issues without the wrong training data and and how can bias, how could how can that bias show up in AI yeah. a little bit more? Yeah, sure. The thing is, look, the biases in training data can profoundly impact the outcomes of AI models, right? So the training data is a foundation. Uh, and that's a foundation in which all models learn. And if this data contains biases, then the models will inherently adopt these biases and it just shoots upstream, right? So that puts everything, everything that's built on it uh, will be corrupt, biased, and unfair, right? So what we see with these in these situations that it can lead to uh, skewed decision-making, right? Which is what you're talking about, or uh, put us in a position where there is a lack of generalization. So biased data can make the models less generalizable. So if a model is trained only a specific de uh, demographic or a subset of that data, then it might not perform well for other demographics over time in different scenarios, right? Uh -huh. So that's, this is where we have to start to have these conversations now and make sure that the models, right, the foundational data that is, that's being ingested um, does not include racial gender bias, especially within facial recognition, because it will lead to misidentification. Uh, and of course, you know, some of the issues around surveillance controls, like, you know, another thing that we don't talk about too often, but there's a lot of like, we all put out disparate data points on a regular basis throughout the days, right? You can get to a point where that data is kind of like collected and then brought together and will create a more complete picture of you or, or someone like you. And then a lot of the other assumptions can be gathered and gleaned just by having, um, you know, a, a handful of, uh, of, of your specific data points, right? So a lot of that stuff, it can happen. So where we are right now is it's crucial for AI developers and stakeholders to be aware that these potential pitfalls to actively work uh, towards, we have to actively work towards models that are trained on diverse data, representative data, unbiased data, and most importantly, have regular audits around it, right? So if you have a regular audit of your platform and the feedback loops and you're bringing in different people with different perspectives and different conversations, that we can get to a point where um, there can be much more safety and the likelihood for what you talked about to be reduced. Yeah, and I think it's, it's really interesting because I, I mean, something that came to mind as you were saying this is, is like regulation is not about how you use these models, which also could be a thing, right? So like, okay, maybe don't make deep fakes to distribute for political yeah. campaigns. Like that could be a regulation, right? That's after the fact. But before the fact, do you also have you should have some regulation about how you create these yeah. models, right? And and I think that the cool would be if we go back to your article about the nuclear uh, agreement, right? Is is just like not an agreement just for like don't explode the bombs, but agreements for like don't create them to begin with. Um, so I I find this interesting because it's like it, regulation has to be comprehensive. Yeah, yeah. And well, well, and what I had alluded to in the on that article that I, I wrote on my blog was that. The IAEA essentially, it's not just about about weaponry, right? It wasn't just about bombs. It's about the the, the creation and proliferation of nuclear energy, right? 
Um, so yeah, should countries have nuclear power plants? Absolutely, it makes sense. But how is it being developed? Who's it being developed by? Who are your partners in the process? What are the standards around this? Where are you building this? How far are people, uh, how far are communities and cities from the reactor, right? What's the safety, you know, what's your safety protocols? And all of these, all, all of the, the standards around this were set, right? Um, at the guidance of the IAEA, and that allowed for uh, plants all around the world to be developed um, and to be and to sit in communities all throughout the U.S. People don't realize that the U.S. has a lot of nuclear power plants in France and Germany, and we've all had a pretty good track record around it, right? So we haven't had too many uh, disastrous situations uh, around the world, and a lot of that is because uh, the guidelines. Uh, were set and the information around the development of these plants were set and the maintenance of these plants were set, were always shared so that when a problem was, um, was someone experienced or a company experienced a problem in one part of the world, everyone knew about it and everyone knew how to handle it going forward. Got it. No, excellent, excellent point. All right. I think that we cover a lot here. We cover about some potential uses for AI for you know marketers, who is the primary audience of this podcast. But also, we we went a little broad. We talked about the future. We talked about regulation that makes sense for it. Um, do you have any general advice for people listening to this about AI and how they should use it, and maybe what's the best way for should they get started? I think I know why you feel there, but. Um, you know, especially as your role in advising companies, what do you recommend marketers do when it comes to AI today in 2023? I think I think everyone just needs to start using it. Quite often when you, I have conversations with folks about it, they have an opinion. A lot of people have an opinion on it. But when you start to ask the questions and start to dig a bit deeper in terms of like, what don't we like about this? What have, what have you tried here? What have you done there? Have you tried this? They're, not a lot have actually put hands on um, time into, uh, into learning the platforms and learning how they interact and, and how the, and what their flaws are, so, you know? So, so I think a lot of it is just, just getting into it. Right. Um, because the decisions that need to be made around deployment are going to be made pretty soon at all different levels. Right, whether it's going to be a consulting firm, a management consulting firm, having a conversation with your CEO and saying, "This is how we think you should be using uh, the technology to create, um, to, to deliver, deliver creative, deliver copy, or to manage the optimization piece on your back end, or to help with your supply chain logistics, or if it's if it's going to be coming from the you know even lower levels with someone that's super junior within your organization that has a passion for it that comes up with a, a really interesting solution." So I think that everyone has to start getting an understanding of what the capabilities are, what the capabilities are not, right? To move away from so that all, um, what the dangers are, what the perils are for their business. Like sometimes in some instances, I think it's going to be different for some organizations versus others, right? Obviously, financial services will have a different type of uh, risk profile versus um, an organization, you know, making leather goods, right? Very different customer base and customer data that they hold on to. Um, so I think that that uh, it's really come down to just getting familiar with the technology, using it on a regular basis, joining the different conversations and the community that are communities that are having 
um, robust um, debates around using it for um, marketing services and uh, and then coming to your own conclusion in terms of how it works for your organization. Awesome. Well, yeah. Donovan, thank you so much for coming here today. I think, um, um, you know, we had a variety of guests, but, um, you know, I love kind of a lot of the research and a lot of the thought that you have done on this space. And honestly, it seems like every space. So uh, I'm excited for people to follow you and learn more about you. So with that said, where where can people find you and learn more about not just AI, but everything that you're working on? Uh, clearly, um, you know, my blog is probably the best place to go. Um, I think that's, I pay a, a bunch more attention to that. Um, so you can go to Donut Jar. You can write me there, right? Right. So donutjar.com. Um, and obviously, if anyone needs to reach out to me, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn and on Twitter. Awesome. Well, thank you, guys. Um, we'll put links on the notes. So Donovan Andrews and your LinkedIn and everything. Appreciate it. Uh, but Donovan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your knowledge. Thank you so much for coming on board to the AI Marketing Lab podcast. And with that said, uh, we're going to end this one today. So, um, you know, to infinity and beyond. Well, that's Toy Story. Uh, <laughs> you know, we'll take it from there. Thank you, everyone. Have a good one. Thanks, bud. Take care. Well, folks, that brings us to the close of another enlightening episode of the AI Marketing Lab by Ben Labs. I truly hope our exploration into the realm of AI-driven marketing resonated with you as much as it did with me. Before we wrap up, let's talk about Ben Labs. If you are a marketer, CEO, founder, gearing up for your next big campaign, here's why you need to learn more about Ben Labs. First, Ben Labs will allow you to dive deep into your audience psyche. Seriously, our AI will allow you to understand and identify new audiences that you've never had access to before. Second, we'll help you find creators that align with your vision. And third, we help you craft content that doesn't just blend in and it stands out. Those are three of many things that we can afford to do. So please take a look at Ben Labs. With that being said, Ben Labs is all about learning from the data that speaks volumes, creating a tailored plan just for your brand and producing content that's simply irresistible, modeling to finesse your strategy and predict wins, and scaling with AI to take your campaigns to the next level. Curious? Check out Ben Labs and transform the way you market. Lastly, if our insights struck a chord, hit that subscribe button on your go-to podcast platform. Get front row access every time we release a new episode. Enjoy us. Leave a rating or a review as it helps others find us and it means the world to us.